So, a few weeks ago, um, I was studying my way through the book of Ezra. Now, I guess I kind of like Ezra. I think Ezra's good stuff, very interesting stuff. I encourage you, someday on your own, go through the book of Ezra. Go through it, study it, and see what it has to say. There's good stuff in there. So as I, as I was making my way through Ezra, not a very big book, actually kind of small. I think it's only maybe nine or ten chapters. won't take you very long to read, but study through it. But as I was studying through it, I came across a verse, a few of them actually, but they really spoke to me. I always make little notes as I travel through my Bible, and God just causes things to jump out at me. And as soon as I read this one, I knew that God would have me to preach on it sooner or later. Um, and, and as it turns out, I made this little note on this one particular verse. As it turns out that that verse that the Lord brought out to me, upon further study and upon closer examination, it really unlocks uh, some biblical truths that are rather important, truths that I hope to convey today to this church. Um, but before we get to that verse, you, you kind of are probably getting used to me now and the way that I preach. I like to gather a little bit of background information so that I can fully understand what the Word of God is saying to me. So who in the world is this Ezra fella? Okay, now I'm sure that Ezra probably isn't one of the more super popular books in the Old Testament, um, most of us would probably have a hard time finding the book of Ezra. If I told you to turn there in your Bible, there's probably a few people thinking, man, I hope he doesn't say turn to the book of Ezra because I, I really don't know where it is. Ezra's just one of those kind of books, you know. Now, okay, so who, who is this Ezra? Well, everyone remembers, now we got to do a little bit of history for a moment, so bear with me. Everyone remembers King David, right? One of the most prominent kings in the entire history of the Israelite nation. One of the most prominent kings that jumps out to us in the Bible. One of the most important, prominent kings in the Word of God. Uh, well, his son, King David's son Solomon, right? He had a son, Solomon, with Bathsheba. He built the first temple, okay? Up until then, really, it was kind of tabernacles or really makeshift-type tabernacles. Well, Solomon built this magnificent, beautiful temple. And they, it was a big deal back then. They, they made a huge feast. They had a huge ceremony. It took years to finish this temple. And it, it was finally finished. They had this big dedication, very special to them. This, this building represented something very special, represented their God, where they would meet with their God. That was Solomon's temple. Okay? Well, fast forward a few hundred years and that temple got destroyed by the Babylonians. Uh, anyone remember reading through your Bible, you come across King Nebuchadnezzar, right? The, the king of the Babylonians. Well, him and his armies destroyed Jerusalem. And not only did they destroy Jerusalem, they destroy this beautiful, their sacred, their wonderful temple. It's destroyed. They go in, they steal all of the very important religious relics, all of their instrumentations that was gold, very valuable, very sacred. Uh, they, they steal all this stuff. These Babylonians do. They, they steal that. Now, not only do they do that, and, and Jerusalem's laid waste, it's destroyed, the temple's destroyed. They steal that stuff. Not only that, but they actually take a whole bunch of the Israelite people as slaves. They take them back to their, their kingdom of Babylon, and they enslave some of these people. Well, 
Fast forward more years, and the Persian Empire comes along. Any of you history buffs out there might like this stuff, and some of you might think this is boring, but we're trying to find out who this Ezra is, okay? So this Persian Empire comes along. Huge empire, and they defeat the Babylonians, okay? Now, like I said, I know this is a lot of historical stuff, but we want to find out who Ezra is because we're trying to find out what the Word of God is saying to us this morning, right? So this, this Persian Empire, led by King Cyrus the Great, his name was called, they, they were, for some reason, they were a little more sympathetic towards the, the people that they defeated, right? So here's these Israelites, here's these Jewish people, this Jewish nation that's enslaved. Well, the Persians felt sympathetic towards them and towards their causes, and they allowed some of these conquered Jews to return back to Jerusalem and to begin rebuilding Jerusalem and to begin rebuilding the walls that were torn down and begin rebuilding that beautiful temple that was very sacred and very meaningful to them. These Persian kings just gave them permission to go ahead and do these things. By the way, we, we might have a little picture we want to put up there for you. I, I always think this kind of stuff is neat, but you see this little neat-looking cylinder there. Um, it's actually, that is actually writing on there. This is called Cyrus's Cylinder. Um, this is the actual decree that King Cyrus wrote allowing these Jews to return back to their land and begin rebuilding their, their land and begin rebuilding their temple. They found it in 1879 in what would be uh, known as modern-day Iraq. They unearthed this thing. So in other words, the Bible for the win again. No big surprise that archaeology... And the, it confirms the historicity of the Bible. It turns out it's true. We see these things in the Bible. We find things like this. This happens over and over. I like to point them out. It substantiates the truth of the Word of God. Okay, so back to our story. Now, part of the problem for these Israelites was that when they were defeated... They were taken as slaves. Their temple was destroyed. All their worship instrumentation, everything from the house of God was gone, was taken. So it kind of put a stop to all their religious practices, all their traditions, all their activities that they did. It, it put a stop to it all. Kind of like today, if someone came and blew up New Hope Church and we came to gather next Sunday, everything's gone. It's destroyed. We don't even have a building to come meet in. So it was disrupted, and then they were taken slaves. So it, it was a real problem for them. The, the temple worship instruments were gone, taken by the Babylonians. Jerusalem destroyed. The temple destroyed. The walls destroyed. It's all ruins. The books of Moses lost and forgotten. So not too many of these Israelites knew much about their God. They didn't. It was just all a forgotten practice. Years had gone by. All these things were laid waste. There they are, slaves to the Babylonians and to the Persians. They were, when, they, when they got defeated, it just, it just all fell apart for them. It all fell apart. So these Jews are allowed by the Persians to return and start rebuilding these things. They start, first, they start with their temple. It's one of the first things they start building is they want to build this temple back up. And the Persian kings even give them, you know, give them some stuff to help them, to aid them. 
They even give them all of their instrumentations. The Persians took that stuff from the Babylonians. And then the Persians, like I said, they felt sympathetic towards the Jews. So they gave them all of their temple stuff back. They gave it to them. So they take it all back into Jerusalem and they begin rebuilding this temple. Well, they, they finish rebuilding the temple. You might hear of you know, someone on the internet or a podcast or something, it's always referred to as the second temple. The first one's kind of referred to as Solomon's temple. So this one here that Ezra and Nehemiah and all them that they rebuild, it's referred to as the second temple. Now, it isn't as grand as Solomon's temple. Solomon was very wealthy, very rich. He employed all kinds of people from all over. They would bring special materials in to build this. The second temple wasn't nearly as grand, but they had their temple back. They had somewhere. They had their instrumentations back. They could get back to worshiping God. Now, here's kind of where Ezra's going to come onto the scene. So the people of God, they, they need someone to preach and to teach all these forgotten laws of Moses, that it's all been sacked. The books of the law even were kind of lost at the time. They need someone to get these people back to serving Jehovah. Now remember, we can't think in today's terms when we think way back in them. There weren't Bibles laying on every coffee table way back thousands of years ago in the days of Ezra. There were not Bibles. They were actually extremely rare and extremely expensive to have a Bible. They actually didn't have Bibles. They would have scrolls back then. Very, very rare. There weren't even that many of them. And if they were, they were hand-copied. They, were, they had to be hand-copied, very painstaking, extremely tedious work, extremely time-consuming to make copies of the Word of God. Well, the Bible tells us that Ezra was just that man to fulfill this role, okay? Now, we're going to meet Ezra now. Sorry for the history lesson, but now we kind of understand a little bit of background. Ezra chapter 1, I'm sorry, Ezra chapter 7 verse 1 says... Now, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Seraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Mariaoth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Anyone notice the genealogies there? I thought about skipping that part, but then I was afraid I knew that one of you guys would call me out on that. But all that's just kind of showing us that Ezra is a descendant that can be traced all the way back to Aaron, Moses' brother, the first Levitical high priest. Okay, So Ezra is a descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother, the first high priest of the nation of Israel. Okay? Uh, verse 6 says, this Ezra went up from Babylon. Remember, he's, he's allowed to return from Babylon. He went up from Babylon and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his request according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. So here we're learning who Ezra is. Ezra is described as a ready scribe. 
He is a skillful recorder of truth and a communicator of those truths. That was what his job is. His job was to preserve history as it happened and to preserve it, to preserve literature, and to preserve these things and to make them available for other generations. That is what he was trained to do. Other translations of the Bible say that Ezra is a teacher well-versed in the laws of Moses. This man was learned. This man was educated. This man, unlike many people that day, this man could read and write. Most people were illiterate back then. Now, notice here in verse 6, before we move on from verse 6, I like to kind of notice something here. It, it's, notice how they describe the scriptures they had back then. It says, this Ezra went up from Babylon and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. You notice that. When the Bible says the law of Moses, a lot of times it may just say the law. It is referring to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Okay, The, the Pentateuch, we may call it. Uh, they are accredited to Moses as he wrote the first five books. So when you're reading through your Bible and you see something says the law of Moses... That it's refer- was what it's referring to. They credit Moses with writing them, but look who they credit as the source of them. Look back at verse 6. says, He was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. Moses wrote them. This is important. Moses wrote them, but they came from Yahweh. Do you understand it? That is how the ancient Hebrews, the ancient Israelites viewed Scripture. Moses wrote them by his hand, but the ultimate source is God. That is how you and I ought to view these scriptures. Yes, they may have been penned by a human being, but their origins are divine in nature. Moses wrote them, but they came from Yahweh. Now, look at Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord... And to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Yes, Ezra was scholarly. He was. Yes, Ezra was what we might call a brainiac. Yes, Ezra was very learned, highly learned man. Many historians and theologians, you may come across some of these facts in your own studies. Many historians, theologians, they actually will credit Ezra with constructing and organizing the Old Testament as we have it today. Many people attribute that to Ezra. This is a smart man. This is an intelligent man. This man is a a good dude. I, I like Ezra. I love to read about Ezra and learn about him. But... Those aren't necessarily the things that set Ezra apart. What sets Ezra apart was he is a man of God. It's not just his brains. It's not just his intellect. It's not just his ability to translate, to read, and to write, to transcribe. It's that he feared the Lord. With all those skills and all those abilities and all that brain power, he feared the Lord. He loved the Lord. The Bible teaches us he had prepared his heart. To seek the Lord. In other words, he was determined to know God. He was determined to study his word. So Ezra said to himself, we got to rediscover the books of the law of Moses. And then we got to see what they say. What do they teach? What are they trying to communicate to us? Other translations say that Ezra was determined in his heart. This man is determined. What do the books of law, the, Moses say to me? What do they say to us? What do they say to humanity? 
These are the questions Ezra asked himself as he set out to get answers from the word of God. To seek the law of God. Ezra wanted to know them. He wanted to understand them. He wasn't content saying, well, being a big old thick Bible, I don't know what it says. He said, I want to understand. What is this saying to me? He not only wanted to understand them, he wanted to be, have the ability to communicate it to other people. That's who this Ezra was. It says he wanted to know it, and then it says, and to do it. Amen? To, to know it and then to do it. Aren't we supposed to be doers of the word, not just hearers only? I think we read that somewhere in the New Testament from a man named James who was also learned in the Old Testament. Ezra, the Bible says Ezra wanted to know his word and then to do it. Then to obey it, to apply it, to implement it. That's usually the part we have a problem with, isn't it? We, we can know it, we can read it, we can listen to the pastor, we can listen to our favorite preacher, podcast, so on and so forth. Hearing that part's not so bad. It's just the doing part that we struggle with. The point isn't just to know it, it's to know it and then to do it. It's to know it and then obey it. We must live out the teachings of the Bible. That's what they're meant for, that's what they're there for. So then Ezra, after knowing the law, after obeying the law, it says Ezra wanted to teach it, to teach its judgments and its statutes throughout all Israel. Now, Quickly, Nehemiah is the next book that you will find in your Bible. Um, but actually, back then, Ezra and Nehemiah would have been one book. Our English tradition separates those two, kind of makes it a little easier for us. But back then, Ezra and Nehemiah would have been one book. So we're going to read a scripture out of Nehemiah now. And I, I wanted to bring that point up because you, you might think, well, you're not even reading in Ezra anymore. You're reading in Nehemiah. It's really it's the same book. Just separated for ease for us. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 2 says, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation. Now stop there for a minute. But remember, don't dismiss who we just learned who Ezra was. Remember, Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of God. He had studied it. He's attempting to obey it. And then here he comes carrying his Bible out in front of the people. Look what it says, Ezra verse eight, or chapter 8, verse 2. says, And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Verse 3 says, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Verse 4 says, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for those purposes. Now we'll stop there, but remember, who is this Ezra? He is a skillful recorder of the truth and a communicator of that truth. He preserved literature to pass it on to generation to generation. And he carries up that Bible. Can you see him doing that this morning? He carries up that Bible to the pulpit made of wood. Do you understand that's what we're doing here today? A tradition Ezra started thousands of years ago. We still follow in its footprints today. He carries that Bible up. The forgotten Bible. No one even knows what it said. It had been lost for years and years. Ezra had been studying it. He prepared. He determined in his heart to say, what does this thing say to us? 
He carries it up there and he begins reading the word of God to the people. Now, and it says they were attentive. They paid attention. They were listening. They weren't horsing around. They weren't dozing off. They were paying attention. They wanted to know, what does this book say? You know, so everything we've gone over this morning, our little history, Babylonian Empire, Persian Empire, Solomon's Temple, the Second Temple, who Ezra is, everything we've been over so far this morning is to, to try to work up to this point right here, right now. We need to see how these attentive people respond to the reading of the Word of God. We need to see how they respond. I wonder, how is it that we respond to the Word of God? What is our response when the Word is read? What is our response when the Word is preached? What is your response when the Word of God is taught? What is your response when you listen to a podcast of of maybe your favorite Bible teacher? What is your response to it all? Think of, as we read through this, think of how you respond to the hearing of the Word of God. Nehemiah 8, verse 8 says, So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly and gave the sense, meaning they explained it. They translated it. In case there was anyone that couldn't understand, they explained it. They taught it. It says, and they gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Verse 9 says, and Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, just governor, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Do you see the way that they respond to hearing the word of God? They wept when they heard God's word. It it meant something to them. It pierced their hearts. It was moving to them. It was meaningful to them. It was moving. It moved them to tears. Why? Why were they weeping? Why, Why did they react this way? Because they recognized the source of the words as we were reading were from God. That's why they were moved. And it broke them. They recognized the Bible was the word from Yahweh, their God, Jehovah. They recognized it as that is the source. Moses might have wrote it, but it ultimately came from God. And it moved them to tears. It broke them. They treasured it. They valued it. It was precious to the people. And they began to weep. When they heard, all Ezra was doing was reading. All he was doing was translating. All he was doing was making it known to the people. And they began to weep, all of them, men and women, young and old, whoever could understand. It broke their hearts from morning unto the noon. If you would keep reading, you would see they stood there even. And they all stood up. We don't like to stand for 10 or 15 minutes. They stood from morning until noon, weeping over the reading of the word of God. Brothers and sisters, Do you know that your response to the things of God is very important? Very important how you respond to this. Very, very, very important is your response 
the, the way you respond, not just to my preaching this morning right now, not just to the preaching that occurs here at New Hope, but your response anytime you interact with the things of God, anytime you read it, anytime you hear it, it's very important how you respond. Do you weep over it? Does His Word pierce your heart? Do you believe on these things? Is it important to you? Do you treasure it? Do you value the Word of God? Do you recognize it as truth? Do you recognize its source as divine? Do, does it move you? Does it inspire you? Because it comes from Him. Do you understand that? That's why it's precious. That's why it's sacred. That's why it's valuable. That's why it's holy. Because yes, some human beings penned it, but they were moved by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. Its source is divine. And these people wept when they heard Ezra and his team of preachers and teachers and translators. And when they heard Nehemiah reading it, they wept. It broke them. Have you ever had a verse, for lack of a better word, you ever had a verse just, just pulverize you? I mean, just strike you right in the heart. I mean, truthfully, that should happen to you, you know, if you're reading through your word and you're a born-again believer. God wants to speak to you. So you're either not hearing it or there should be verses jumping out and just striking you right in the heart. Um, I had one just leap off the page to me the other day. I was reading a Proverbs and came across this proverb, and, and it just spoke to me. You know, I had read it in the morning, and later on in the day, I don't know, a couple hours later or whatever it was, an amount of time later, that verse just came back to my mind and just meant something to me. It meant something to me. And the only thing I knew to do at the time, when it kind of popped back into my head, was to recite it. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure, and He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Church, that means something to me. It, me, it meant something to me then. It means something to me now. I believe in its truth. I believe that every syllable that has uttered out of the mouth of God is pure in its origins. And He is a shield Unto them that put their trust in him. I believe that. That's truth. That is the truth. And I love when God. Just something simple like it. Just a little proverb for the day. He he's hands it to me. He's like here you go son. Think about this for a while. I love that. It's true and I believe it. Brothers and sisters. All this church stuff we do. It's got to have meaning behind it. It has to have meaning behind it. This is not just a social gathering to come hang out. There's some decent people in here this morning. There are. There's people that I love in here. I love all of you. So everybody in here, in my opinion, you are a decent, cool person. You invite me to lunch, I'll come have a lunch with you. But that's, that's not the totality of it. This, this, this gathering if you come to Bible study tonight, it's another little gathering. It, it has to have real, genuine meaning behind it that transcends just a, a social club. When we hear 
the Word of God, when we read the Word of God, are you dismissive? Do you go your way and quickly forget? What did pastor preach on this morning? I, um, I think it was something about, he read something about one of those little books in the Old Testament. I can't remember where it is. Do you go your way and quickly forget what you just, are you indifferent? Doesn't really matter either way, one way or the other. Just got to get the church, check off the box, and that way I'm a good person. Does the word matter to you? Does it really matter? No big deal. I'll get to it later. I understand this stuff's important, but I'm a busy person. Have you gotten to a place where you used to love his word, but life has pulled you in a million different directions, and now you don't feel the passion that you felt once? I've been there. I've been there before. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, how do you respond to God's word this morning? How do you respond? What is your response when the preacher preaches? What is your response when you flip it open and you read a chapter? How do you respond? Close it up, shove it out of the way, time for dinner now. Not worried about that. Let's get back to Ezra. The, these things meant everything to Ezra. They meant everything to Nehemiah and Ezra and his team. They meant everything. Now, word comes to Ezra. We won't read all of it. It'll take too long. But word gets to Ezra that the people of God, the Israelites, had been intermarrying with some of the pagans, the, the pagan nations. Not a good practice. Actually, that practice is expressly forbidden from God to his chosen people. They were not to be unequally yoked. God could foresee that's going to create a problem, so they were not to be unequally yoked. They were not to marry those pagan nations that had completely wicked practices. They would commit abominations. And this word comes to Ezra. He hears that that's the practice that those Israelites are doing. They're intermarrying. They're not for, this has nothing to do with any types of races, racism, that God didn't like other people. Nope, it's not that. It's the unequally yoked thing. It's a spiritual concern that God is worried about. They were not to be unequally yoked. Just like we today are not to be unequally yoked. Because sooner or later, it leads to leaving God. It leads to forsaking God. Remember what happened to King Solomon, right? He married all kinds of wives who practiced all kinds of, uh, had all kinds of pa uh, pagan religious practices. And it drew Solomon's heart away. So Ezra gets this news. He receives it. Ezra chapter 9 verse 1 says... Now when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. They have taken of their daughters for themselves." And for their sons, so that thy holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers has been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, this is Ezra now. When I heard this thing, I rent my garments and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astoined. This is Ezra's response to hearing these things. That as they're rebuilding Jerusalem, they're rebuilding the city, rebuilding the walls, they're, they're getting this temple finished. Jerusalem, or Ezra gets this report that these people have been marrying these pagan 
uh, people and, and they're beginning to practice some of their practices and they're being influenced by these pagan nations, by these pagan, pagan sinful abominations. He rips his garment, he, he rips out his hair, he rips out his beard and he sits down, uh, uh, stowing the Bible says. It's just he's devastated, completely devastated. Why? Because the word of God mattered to Ezra. It mattered. So then Ezra, let's, let's look at his response. Ezra gathers his God-fearing buddies up. He calls an assembly of, of the men that he trusts and knows, the people that he trusts and knows. He gathers them around him. They're going to fast. They're going to pray over this situation. And look what it says about Ezra's companions that he gathers. Now remember, as we read this, we're, t- we're trying to think about how, how we respond to the things of God. How we respond when God points out sins in our lives. Ezra chapter 9 verse 4 says, Then were assembled unto me, says Ezra, Then were assembled unto me everyone that trembles at the word of God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat down, astoined until the evening sacrifice. Did you happen to catch their response to the things of God? The men, the, the people that gathered around Ezra trembled at the words of the Lord. The, the New American Standard translation of that verse even uses the word frightened at the words of the Lord. That They trembled. They took God's word so seriously it caused them to tremble. When Ezra said, hey, uh, it says back here in Deuteronomy, we're not to intermarry. We're not to be unequally yoked with these people, with these unbelievers. We're not to, to, to yoke ourselves with them. These men trembled because they took God's word so seriously. They were struck by fear even because they knew that their people had violated the scriptures. And they were fearful because they knew that the God that wrote these scriptures is mighty and powerful and shouldn't be provoked. Then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled at the words of the God of Israel. These people held his word as sacred. It was sacred. These words of the Lord, the words of the Lord were awe-inspiring to these people. When Ezra told them, hey guys, I come across this scripture when I was reading the laws of Moses and it forbids us to intermarry with unbelievers. With these unsaved pagans, they trembled. They trembled, they quaked because they knew that the origins of these commands were Yahweh, God. Brothers and sisters, how is it that you respond to the things of God? Your response, it's real important the way you respond. Real important. Real important. Now, I like to ask myself questions. Why? Why is it real important? Why are you saying I should be broken over the word? Why are you saying it should be so important? What reason behind it is my response so important when the word of God is read, when it's spoken, when I hear it, when I read it? Why does my response matter so much? Well, Jesus weighs in on the matter. Mm -hmm. Jesus tells us explicitly why our response to the word of God matters. John chapter 12, verse 48, the man himself says this. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The words that 
have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Let me read that to you again, just in case you missed it. This is Jesus now. He that rejects me, he that receives not my word, has one that judges him. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. That's why it's important. This word here will judge you one day. The word of God, what you will be measured against the word of God. You will be judged based on your response to the word of God. Do you receive it into your heart? Will you receive it even this morning? Do you receive the word when it's preached? Or does it just bounce right off? You go in here, one ear, out, right out the other. Just go about your merry way. Does it find a place in your heart this morning? The word of God. They're not my words. I, I did not write any of these things. I'm only telling them about you this or telling you them this morning. Do you receive the words? Because one day you'll be judged based on this word. Do you fear? Do you tremble over these words? Or it just doesn't matter all that much. Hurry up, make your point. Let's move on about our business. Make it quick, Pastor. I have stuff to do today. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that you need to start crying and weeping right now or you're a bad person. I'm not saying that. Or you need to start flailing around. I am not saying that one bit. I'm not saying you need to be exactly like these people we read about in Ezra. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying you need to be like Ezra, rip out your hair and rip out your beard. I'm not saying any of those things. But it does have to mean something to you. It does have to have some real meaning to you when you come to church, when you worship, when you hear the Word of God. It has to have some real meaning behind it. There has to be something genuine Revelations chapter 20, verse 12. If I can invite the band to begin to make their way back. Listen to Revelations chapter 20, verse 12. So we just read the words of Jesus. His words will judge us. And then Revelations 20, 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Those books it talks about, that the, the books are going to be brought out, it is the written word of God. The written word of God is going to be brought out, placed, and then you will be judged based on your works according to the, what the word of God said and your response to them. It will be the written word of God, his instructions, his commandments, his wisdom. Did you blow it all off? Didn't mean that much to me. Didn't seek it. Don't really want to know it. Just let me move about my way. You will be based or judged based on your response to those things. Because it's the word of God. Its source is divine God. Every one of us, every one of us will be judged based on our response to the word of God. To the words of Jesus. To the gospels. To the epistles. To the book of Revelation. To the Old Testament. Your response matters. Do you embrace them? Do you embrace the words I say this morning? Do you receive them? Do you believe them? Or they just aren't that big of a deal to me. I'm too busy. Got more important matters to attend to. I'll deal with those things when I'm older. 
I'll deal with those things when I'm on my deathbed. I've heard a lot of people say that. I'm going to live however I want, and then when I'm getting ready to die, then I'll deal with those things. Good luck to you, friend. You know, we, we sang a song earlier. The lyrics were, I surrender. I want to know you more. I surrender. I want to know you more. And I ask you, do you? Do you really want to do these things matter? Do you want to know your maker more? Do you want to know him who wrote these scriptures more? Is it meaningful when you sing worship? Is it meaningful when you come to the altar? Does it mean something when someone comes down here broken and others gather around and we lay hands and we pray for them? Does that mean something to you? I sure hope it does. And I pray that you receive this this morning. We examined the book of Ezra and we examined the book of Nehemiah briefly just to see their response to the word of God. It broke them to tears just hearing the precious word of God knowing that its ultimate source is Yahweh Jehovah the God of the Hebrews the God of the Bibles let's stand to our feet this morning these altars are open come let God deal with you if you have anything needs dealt with come deal with it at these altars